Well, good morning, everybody. You guys doing good? All right, ready to go. Um, well, anyway, just a couple of announcements before we get uh, into everything. Uh, we do have our LDS uh, Bible classes starting this week. Um, anyway, we are also working on some things. Let me just throw this out here. Uh, some people have expressed interest in being part of that, but they can't necessarily come because of traffic or schedule or whatnot. We're trying to work on something that we can make some of these stuff correspondence. Um, so uh, well, if you are interested, but you, uh, there's a, whatever in the way, whatever, just reach out to us and we will see if we can make something work. Uh, we're trying to uh, think innovatively. Uh, our biggest heart in all of this is to provide discipleship uh, where people get grounded in the Word of God. Um, so we're st anyway, we're starting out that this week, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, uh, Classes start at 7, but uh, we do open up at 6.30 for worship. We have our Bible uh, study tonight at 6 o'clock, and then again we open early for that at 5.30 uh, for worship, for those who are interested. So anyway, I think those are the only major announcements I need to make right now. Also, I realized this morning that the, the video didn't archive onto the website last week. I fixed that this morning, so it is on there. So apologize for that. You have the wording, but not the word, and not the actual live, uh, live stream recording video, what we want to call it, uh, but anyway, we got that fixed, so uh, anyway, uh, so we're all up and running. So anyway, uh, I think that's all of my announcements I need to make at this point, and so if it comes up, we'll try to make it mention it later. Anyway, so we're going to jump right into our uh, the message this morning, um, go ahead, you will go ahead and show me to Acts chapter 2. That's our main uh, text that we're branching this uh, series off as we're talking about the essence of spiritual maturity. Yeah. Let me just get my iPad synced here and then we're good. chapter 2, begin with verse 40. I'm going to be reading this first text out of the King James. And it says, And with many other words did he, Peter, testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then they, now, then they, that gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And we're going to read some more in a little bit uh, in this text that we read before. But uh, anyway, so we're talking about the essence of spiritual maturity, and we've been looking at this, uh, we've been using this text to springboard uh, our our message. And I, let me just make some mention a few things again um, in here. This is, uh, Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. It's the day of Pentecost. The church has been born, and we have the first born-again believers uh, through, through, uh, through the, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, the, the 120 that were originally assembled were filled with the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit been poured out. And Peter begins to preach, he begins to preach a salvation message. And at the end of his message, he makes a statement, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. And then these 
hundred and then as and, and those who received Peter's message, three thousand people were added to the hundred and twenty that were already assembled and, and were saved. So we have uh, that. So we have three thousand one hundred and twenty people saved. And these three thousand one hundred and twenty new believers, they began to continue they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking the bread and in prayers. And we've been spending the last few weeks talking about the Apostles' Doctrine and also Fellowship. And again, that's the, a video that didn't show up on the website this week, but it's there now. Uh, for regarding Fellowship. But today we're going to deal with the breaking of bread. And then uh, if we get that far enough, we'll start next week on talking about prayers. But I just want to make a statement here. You know, when Peter preaches, it says, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now that word untoward, we don't talk that way uh, today. That's not in our vocabulary today. But that word ontoward means perverse or warped. Anytime you remove God out of the culture, that culture, that generation is going to begin become warped. If we don't have God in our lives, if we don't have a relationship with God in our lives, and our society at large, in many different ways, has removed God from the culture. And so you're going to have a, a warped generation. If you're going to if Peter lived in a, in a warped or perverse, untoward generation, we do today too. And we need to save ourselves from this. And uh, we need to get, we need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the word of God, in the relationship with God. We need to continue steadfastly in the fellowship. We need good, like-minded fellowship as a regular diet. We need to continue, as we're going to stay this morning, into the breaking of bread, which we're going to talk a lot about covenant this morning. And then uh, we'll talk about prayers next week. But I've experienced that when I've been steadfast in these four areas, and again, I've got this message, this main outline of this message from Dwayne Sheriff at his church. He has a teaching series called uh, The Spiritual Growth Track. That's part of our LEOS program, too. We've actually incorporated that whole teaching in there. Um, but as Dwayne Sheriff says, you know, he has experience, and I know I have too, that when these four things, these four attributes are on this path of life, this pathway of continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine into uh, fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers, when, I'm, when, I, when I have a well-balanced and I'm, I'm participating in all four of those on a continual basis, there's growth, there's maturity. Uh, Dwayne Sheriff, he's seen it in his life, he's seen it in every church that he's planted, and they have a lot of churches that are in their network. Uh, I've seen it in my life. I've also seen the, the reverse of this. When I'm not continuing in the Word of God, the Apostles' Doctrine, when I'm not continuing because of whatever circumstances or situations or even just motivation and fellowship, when I'm not continuing in the breaking of prayer, which we'll get into today, in prayers, I'm not growing. I'm actually, by myself, decaying, in a sense. It's kind of like watering the grass. If you don't water the grass, it will turn brown. If you don't water the flowers, if you don't, water, if you don't take care of ourselves in a healthy way, we will see decay. Uh, we will see ourselves uh, uh, go backwards and wither, so to speak. Uh, and sometimes, and some people we've seen have totally withered. We've seen people who have gone to Bible college, some who have gone to Bible college witches, but they remove themselves from fellowship. Or one of these categories, then we, we've seen uh, uh, a change that's not good. 
But those who are in the Word of God, those who are in fellowship, those who are uh, participating in the breaking of bread and their prayers, we see a growth. We see a maturity. The, 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 when we abide in the vine, see, not, some of these things in and of themselves are not divine, like fellowship and, uh, and, and, and different, different things of that nature. And, but there are, they are resources, if I can use that way, that help us stay connected to the vine. We are better together. We are better when we admonish one another in the Lord. Uh, uh, as the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves as you see today of person. We need the admonishment. We need the encouragement. We need the, at times even the reproof and the correction and the instruction and righteousness. We need these things. Uh, we need the Word of God. Does that make sense? In other words, I, uh, we, we need all these things. So, we start with the Apostles' Doctrine, which we talked about in the last couple of weeks. But we start here because everything starts with teaching. Everything starts with uh, being taught, uh, even as a child, even on a natural level. We can't mature if we're not taught. And just because we learned it yesterday, we need to continue today in that same teaching. We need to continue steadfastly. It's just like eating. Well, I ate yesterday. I ate last month. I ate last year. Last Thanksgiving, our family got together. Well, we need to eat on a continuous daily basis. And we need to have a continual diet of the Word of God. Uh, if, you, if you don't learn the things of the kingdom of God, the things of, the, 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 uh, of uh, who we are in Christ and, who, and having a pure doctrine or teaching of who God is and who we are, and we need to be reminded of those things. We need to become grounded and established in those things. We're not going to grow. We're not going to mature. We're only going to go as far as we feed and, and regular, have a regular diet. If our diet is kind of hit and miss, then our growth will be kind of hit and miss. You know, to the level that we continue steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine, we're going to see that effect in our growth. You don't grow naturally without being taught, and you can't grow spiritually without being taught on a regular, continuous basis. Fellowship. The early church, they didn't just assemble once a week and not get to know anybody. No, they assembled, and, and they, they, I mean, the early church assembled daily. Uh, they assembled uh, uh, in the temple and from house to house. But my point is, and I'm not so much talking about the schedule, but we need the encouragement. In our lives, and there, there, and even in our society, our busy society, and sometimes, in, at least in our area, some of us are spread out geographically somewhere. There are still innovative ways to stay connected in the area of fellowship. There's a phone, there's texting, there's messaging, and it doesn't have to. But it, well, we need regular fellowship on a regular basis. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need to have fellowship, and we all. There are times in life where we all have challenges. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. There will be tribulation in this world. But we, we need God, but God has also designed us that we need one another. God has designed his church, his, his body, to function in unity. He is not, he's not, God has not designed his church to be isolated, doing their own thing. We are united and supporting each other as we're doing, in a sense, our own thing. Uh, 
It's not all about what we're doing. It's not all about what we're doing in this church. But at the same point in time, we're here, uh, as much as we like people to encourage what we're doing, we, we need to want to encourage what God's called you to do, whatever that might be. When we, we come together, we fellowship together, we admonish, we encourage one another, at times we just all need encouragement, prayer, and it's just healthy to fellowship. I mean, even our dogs and our animals love attention. They want fellowship. They, 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 they get lonely when they don't see us all day or whatever the case may be. And that's just in the animal kingdom. It's even, I believe, God designed us to be relational. Uh, it starts with this relationship so that we can have these relationships. And when we have those improper balance, it's not all about friendships and fellowship, but it's also not a, it's not a good Christian life, a good mature life, is not isolated from no fellowship. We need to have a well-balanced relationship. Yes, he's first. But when we have this relationship, it's going to overflow to other relationships. Now, that makes sense? If this is struggling, usually this is struggling. Uh, in some way, way or another. We love because he first loved us. Okay? This spiritual growth track or path that we've been talking about, these four things, it's all the, every, every one of these attributes are progressive. We are continuing to progress. I'm not where I was yesterday, but I'm also not where I want to be tomorrow. I'm progressing. And, and, and one, in one sense, it's also cyclical. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But mean, what I mean is that it's, it's a cycle. It never le we never leave that cycle. We never get off that treadmill, your spiritual treadmill, so to speak. Okay? Now, some of us are at different levels and different paces of that because of different circumstances and situations and even geographical situations and challenges. But, but we never get off this cycle. We have to have a regular, continuous, steadfast commitment to the apostles' doctrine, to, to uh, fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. I haven't known anyone who has matured to Christ without knowing the apostles' doctrine. I don't know anyone who has matured in Christ who doesn't have a regular diet of good fellowship. You just, it just can't happen. And it's, it's the same with the other two that we're going to get into. And, but and as we go into the breaking of bread, you're going to see that the breaking of bread has a lot of, it's very close to fellowship, and they go together, and all these go together, because it's one path. Four attributes is the same path. But I want to encourage us in continuing even as we talk about fellowship, but as we talk about the breaking bread, I want to encourage us in this aspect in our relationships in the more. Okay? God wants us to have healthy relationships. See, those who are, I believe, those who are functional, happy, and really fulfilled in life, you will find that they have healthy relationships. And with the different people can be, that healthy relationships can be a combination of different things. Sometimes it's like with a spouse. Sometimes it's with a parent or a child. Sometimes it's with friends. Sometimes it's with family. Sometimes people don't have a, a natural family in the sense that they've all passed away or moved on or whatever the situation would be. But we have a family in the family of God. But everyone who is growing a healthy, good life, not just even on a spiritual level, but also on a natural, physical, psychological, mental level, has good, healthy relationships. And... Uh, I believe many times the quality of our life is directly connected to the relationships that we have in life, starting with this relationship. Starting with our, that has to be the starting point. But if this relationship is good, this relationship 
will also be good because that's where it goes. It, it's just an overflow. The more I have a good <coughs> relationship with God, I have a greater compassion for other people. It's just a byproduct of that. When I'm not doing good, I'm not doing good with other people. And sometimes I'm not even doing good with myself. You ever have an argument with yourself? You ever get on your, yourself? Sometimes we don't even do good with our own relationship with ourselves. Because this is not where it needs to be on a particular time. Or maybe just we're just having a bad day. God created us to, to as relational creatures. God, that's how God designed us. That's how God created us. None of us, again, I keep saying the same, but no one is an island to themselves. Relationships are a part of our life in a natural level, a part of our maturity in a natural level, but relationships are also a part of our life in a our maturity on a spiritual level. God did not create us to be independent of Him. And God also did not create us to be, in a sense, independent of one another. This has to, this has to be priority. We never want relationships to take place with God. But I believe they will become a natural byproduct of this relationship. And they will be healthy. The, 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 the volume and the, uh, how much we, uh, and what level that relationship is will be in good health when we have a good relationship with God. Okay. When we have a relationship with God, we are not going to shun and ostracize one another. When we have a relationship with God, we're also not going to put others above God. Uh, so, so it's going to be in good balance. Okay, so let's uh, switch gears a little bit and start getting into the breaking of bread here. Uh, but in doing that, I want to uh, read a little bit more here in Acts chapter 2. And they continue <coughs> steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in the breaking of bread. In prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Now, when he's talking about fear here, he's not talking about being afraid of God. He's talking about being in awe of God. He's talking, okay? And, uh, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. That's awesome. And we're going we're to piggyback on that in just a, in a few moments. Verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, which to me is a, is a corporate setting, but also in breaking of bread, that's the second time he's mentioned that phrase, breaking of bread, they mentioned it twice, from house to house, and he, and did eat their, their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Okay? Um, now, let me just make mention of this. With this phrase, breaking of bread, I'm going to go back here to 42. Growing up and through the years, I've always had this question in my mind. When he's talking about the breaking of bread, is he talking about communion as we know it? The bread and the, and, and, I mean, the, bread and the, the cup? Or is he talking about having a meal from house to house and, and fellowshipping? And I've always asked, asked that. It's always been a question I've been kind of hung up on. Because I didn't know the answer to that. And as I began to study the scripture, Dwayne Sheriff also did his message, help, help uh, 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 give, give uh, reference to that too. But I, I've even expanded on my own study. It, so the question is, is, is it communion? Or is it a meal? And my answer to that is both. It is. Communion was a meal. The original Passover in Exodus chapter 12 was a meal. 
and we're going to see some other scriptures in a few moments, even the Last Supper, which is actually also the First Communion in a sense, was a meal. And we'll see in 1 Corinthians 11, the early church, when they had communion, yes, they had the bread and the cup, but the whole exercise was a meal. And we're going to see that it was a meal, but it was also communion. In the New Testament, we see it more as communion. In the Old Testament, we see it more as a Passover. But it, it was a meal. And we're going, to, we're going to see the significance of that as we go forward. But just keep this in mind. Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is our, in a sense, our meal. He says, eat my body and eat, drink my blood. He says that, talks about that in John 6. And, and for the natural mind, that, that just sounds wrong. That just sounds, in one sense, perverse. Who's, why am I going to eat his body and drink his blood? Like, what are you talking about? You know? And, and many people left him because they didn't understand what he meant. And uh, I mean, you know, Jesus is the bread of life. And we have received his blood. And we need to be taught that. We need to be taught the apostles' doctrine so we understand what his blood and what his body represents. But throughout scriptures, and we're going to come back to some of that when I just mentioned, but throughout scripture, especially the Old Testament, but also throughout the, even the New Testament, and even the ministry of Jesus, you'll see that in scriptures, especially in the Hebrew culture, when someone had a meal together, to them in the Hebrew, Hebrew culture, it was like having a mini covenant. It's not, it wasn't on the same level as a husband and wife having a covenant relationship. But just the fact that someone, they didn't just have a meal with anybody. In the Hebrew country, culture, when you had a meal with somebody, it was like having a mini covenant. Okay, we're going to look at something in just a moment. But having a meal together, <coughs> excuse me, Having a relationship together is powerful. We've lost that in a sense in American culture. We've lost the family table. We've lost that in many households a day. I mean, I remember the shows I used to grow up in, watching Ozzie and Harriet, uh, Leave It the Beaver, uh, other shows. The family meal was a daily thing uh, in the culture. But through the years, through the we are in a fast food generation, a microwave generation. We have, uh, uh, and we're busy, busy, busy doing our careers and lives. We've lost many times that family table. Uh, and so, uh, we're going to talk about that. But the a meal back in, not just the Hebrew culture, but even in uh, just a few hundred years back, uh, and not even going that far, but you had to farm, you had to grow your, your meal, in a sense. You had to farm it. You had to, to, to grow your crops, not just for uh, income, but also that was, you grew it so you wouldn't have food to put on the table. You had to milk the cow. You had to gather the eggs. You had to, to farm your, 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 your and, um, and so when you had the meal, it, was a, it wasn't just a meal relationally, but it was also the byproduct of, of your livelihood. And you, you valued your meal even more. Today we might not milk our own cow, and we might not get our own eggs from our own chickens. Some people still do. But, uh, uh, but we still work. And we still work to, so, 
So we can pay someone else who milked the cow and got the eggs and whatever the case may be. Um, but it's still our labor of love. See, communion is also not just a meal. Communion also represents uh, Christ's labor for us. He did the work on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. Jesus came to serve us. Jesus came to die for us. He gave his life for the ransom of many. But a meal, and also communion, just this whole concept, takes fellowship that we just talked about the last two weeks to a different level than the world experiences fellowship. I mentioned, I think, in the last couple of weeks, as we're talking about, even the world in one sense understands fellowship. They have their clubs. They have their groups. They have their bars where they hang out and gather. And in a sense, they connect in a relation. We have the church. We have the body of Christ. And fellowship for us should be at a deeper level than the world. Because we have a common ground in Christ. That makes sense? And so, this whole idea of a meal and communion takes even church and fellowship to a different level than a lot of people have ever really experienced. You know, um, I'm hoping to try to explain this. Most of us, when we go to church, we are, we're, we're used to this type of setup that we have here. Where usually we have... Uh, there's usually songs that we worship together. Sometimes there's some announcements and an offering. And then there's the pastor gives a message. And then maybe there might be a response. But there's also churches together. And it's kind of like our Bible studies that we have. Where we just gather in a circle. Where, uh, yes, there might be some teaching in there. But if anyone has something to share, they can. Well, we can pray for one another. We can minister to one another. We went to, uh, uh, when we were in Colorado a couple of years ago, uh, we went to the minister's conference, and on that Sunday afterwards, we went to uh, Roger Williams' house church. And when we got there, it was just awesome. They, they had a meal together. It was kind of a potluck type meal, and they do this every Sunday. And uh, I guess there was some teaching involved, but there was also a lot of ministry. There was also a lot of what I, we just talked about last couple weeks, koinonia going on. And we got ministered to. There was uh, even that particular night. Long story short, but the, uh, they washed. Well, there was a, a foot washing ceremony in a sense. It was very intimate, very, very, very beautiful. Uh, it was pure. Everything was good. But it, we got ministered to on a different level than we get ministered to maybe on a sun, regular Sunday morning service. Or even, uh, and keep in mind, a lot of these uh, people who come to this Bible study in Colorado go to Bible college. So they have good teaching every day. They have worship every day. In a sense, they even have fellowship every day, just being co-students together. But, and so they have that structure of the church met in, uh, in the temple, but they also met from house to house, house daily. And I believe that all of us need both, type, both kinds of, of, of fellowship. Well, we need to have... When we need to sit under the apostles' teaching, a pastor's teaching, and be pastored and be, be taught in a systematic way. But we also need a time where we, we just get ministered to, and where we can minister to one another. And I think everyone needs to experience both levels of church, 
both levels of that type of uh, atmosphere. Am I making sense? I, you know, if all you did was the, 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 the fellowship part, but you didn't have a systematic teaching, that would be unbalanced. But if all we got was a systematic teaching, but there was no fellowship, there was no relationship, there was no, in a sense, meals, it's not about the meal per se, but what the meal represents and what the gathering represents, we need a time when we just connect with one another and, and minister to one another. Hopefully I'm making sense. See, the church, when, when the church is sharing, when we are sharing a meal together with anybody, we just went out with a, a couple friends on Friday night, just have a meal together. My favorite restaurant, so it was good, good food. But the food was awesome. But really, the, 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 the core of it was fellowshipping with, among friends. And when and it's not something we get to do with every day with everybody. And when you're having a meal together, in that moment, it's intimate. It's relational. Uh, it, it's not intimate in the sense of a husband or wife. And, and there's a place where we ha have those intimate times too. But it does take a friendship. It does take a relationship to a different level. And we need to relate with one another. We need to take time to, to hear one another fellowship with one another. It's not just about the meal, but I'm just talking about, and I'm not just talking about eating meals together, it just, but I'm talking about taking church to a new level where we are intimate and we are relational with one another versus just a casual hi and, and greeting on Sunday morning. And, and, and I'm not taking away from that. That's beautiful and wonderful too. Hopefully I'm making sense. But that church is at a different level. We, In many ways we've lost this connection in many ways in our culture today and even in the, in the church today. Um, but but when, we are, when we're halibut together, when we even have communion together, we are partaking of his table. And we are partaking of it together and sharing in one another's life. Um, let me just make mention a couple more things and then we'll get into some scriptures. Also, when I m mentioned here, when we read in this text, uh, I think we want to start with verse 44, yeah. And they, all that, and all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and part of them to all men as every man had need. And, you know, that's beautiful. I remember reading that since I was a child, and it has always intrigued me that the early church, they not only had a meal together, they not only fellowship together, but they cared for one another. They were meeting one another's needs on a, not just a spiritual level, but also even a practical level, as the need would, would arise. Now, I've shared this, I've, I've had these conversations with other people, and Dwayne Sheriff mentioned this too, so I'm going to mention it too, but some people look at what the church, what the early church did here in verses 44 and 45, and, and they, they, will, they will equate that this is social. This is not socialism. Socialism, they take your stuff. Socialism, they choose what's moral and immoral. They choose where your money goes and your food goes and your possessions go. And actually socialism, you are punished if you don't give up your stuff. And you don't share your stuff with one another. But a family, and we are the family of God, we are the body of Christ, we genuinely care for one another. We, the early church did this out of love. They did this out of compassion. 
They did it from the heart. It was relational. Uh, if you had a need, I have something to help contribute to that. Um, they gave out of their heart. And, and sure, and I've been, there's been many times, if there's a need, and I'm not saying we can meet every need, but if there's a need, I want to help if I can. And Jesus had needs that he came across, feeding the multitudes, for example. He didn't even have the lunch. But we, ha we have the, 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 the power of God, the anointing of God. We can, we can take the loaves and the fish and multiply them and meet needs. We, have, we can do miracles. We can do, we can do all kinds of things to help meet one another's needs, not just spiritually, but also on the physical level. That makes sense? But, uh, it, but it's, it's from the heart. And just this whole idea is, some, in some groups and some people, is a foreign concept today. But, as we're going to get to some scriptures here, it's not just about the meal. And it's not just about sharing one another things. Those are some of the byproducts. Those are some of the, 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 the uh, uh, benefits and, and, again, the fruit of, 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 of breaking bread and fellowship. But what I'm going to get into, really at, the, at its core, when we're talking about breaking the bread, we're talking about covenant. A covenant with God. And as we have a covenant with God, in a sense we have a covenant with Okay. And we are going to be relational, not out of emotion, but out of covenant. And it takes uh, a relationship with God and uh, one another at a deeper level. We cannot have this type of covenant, in a sense, without this one verse. And we need to know who we are in covenant. But as, as God has, been, has a covenant with us, in a sense, we can have a covenant with one another. Okay? Uh, and not, and I'll explain some things as we go. See, people who don't understand, at times someone really cares about me. And people don't understand this level of relationship and koinonia uh, in the body of Christ, in a sense. And that, James, I think it's in James, it's like that we mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. That's, there's, a, there's a level of intimacy and relationship and covenant with one another because we really care for one another. And when we understand what I'm trying to get at, this is a lot of this is just an introduction where I want to get going, we will grow. We will mature. When we understand that it's not just about me, in my close relationship with God. Yes, that's a starting point. Yes, that's at its core. But as I grow in this relationship, as I mature in this relationship, I'm also going to mature in other relationships. Even on a natural level, a child. Sometimes a lot of children, all of us can be selfish. It's about me, my world, my toys, my home, my family. But I love it when I see a child grow and they're not just thinking about themselves. But they begin to enlarge their world vision and care about one another. Whether it be another peer or another person or another family or what. And I just love to see that maturity in any child or any person for that matter. And when people begin to genuinely care for others instead of just themselves. It's growth. And it's beautiful. Okay? Um, 
But let me mention a couple of different things. We're talking about this meal. Go with me real quick to Luke chapter 5. There's another occasion too, we'll, we'll get to that. Luke chapter 5, verse 30. And it says, But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the publicans and sinners? Go with me real quick. Keep that in mind. But go with me to Luke 15. Verse 2. And the Pharisees... Sorry if I went too fast. But Luke 15, 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man, he's talking about Jesus, receiveth sin. Uh, I want to toggle back to the New King James. Sorry about that. I want to read that again. Luke 15, 2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. We're going we're gonna to pick it back on this whole idea. We're going to see some other scriptures in just a moment. But Jesus had fellowship with the sinners, with the publicans and sinners. He had a meal with them. We have two occasions here, in Luke 15 and also Luke 5, and there's others. But uh, uh, where Jesus had a meal with publicans and sinners. And that offended just the fact that he fellowshiped at this level, because the Pharisees understood, the religious culture, the, the, the Hebrew culture understood having a meal together. It was, it was significant to them. It, like I said, it was like a mini covenant. We're going to look at some other scriptures where we see the significance. But it just, uh, but this, just when Jesus, all he, Jesus was doing was hanging out with them, eating with them, supping with them, in a sense, and it offended the religious leaders. What was such a, what was so wrong and bad about Jesus having a meal and hanging out with the public and the sinners? Why did this upset them so much? I mean, their attitude even, even amazed Jesus, that they would have such an attitude about him just simply having a meal with them. Why? Because, I believe one of the reasons is because they didn't understand covenant. They understood covenant to, on a natural level, as a cultural level, but they didn't understand the heart of the Father. They didn't understand the heart of Jesus. <coughs> and, and Jesus even said, Jesus didn't come to the healthy. It's not. It's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. Jesus was hanging out with the publicans and sinners because he's trying to, to extend, in a sense, a mini covenant with them. He's trying to extend his heart and the fellowship. I believe in many ways that Jesus is saying to these publicans and sinners, I really do care about you. I don't condone the life you're living. I don't condone the life choices you're making and the life you're living. But I love you. I care about you. And I want to see, I want to help you. I want to bless your life. And he's doing that not just with his words, but he's also doing that with his actions and he's not condoning the behavior, but he's loving them for who they are. God created them, and he's fellowshipping with them at a certain level. Jesus did it multiple times, hanging out with the public and the sinners. And we, 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 we know that Jesus wasn't condoning their behavior and their lifestyle choices, but he also didn't ostracize and shun himself from anybody. 
we did see him spend a lot of time necessarily with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, different things, but, uh, uh, and that, there are different reasons for that. But, but this covenant meal upset the religious community. You know, I believe to sit down with Jesus and have a meal together with him would be a very, a very precious thing. I think any of us would love to just sit down and have a meal. I mean, whether it be, uh, whatever it would be, I don't care if it's peanut butter and jelly or whatever it is, just to sit down and have a meal. It's not about the food. It's about spending time with Jesus. Uh, uh, okay? We even see this in Revelation chapter 3. We talked about this in our last series, and we're talking about seeing Jesus in Revelation. But the church in its worst condition, in, in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Lady O.C., the lukewarm church, Jesus says, I stand at the store and knock, and if you open the door, I will come and sup with you and you with me. Jesus wants to have a meal with us. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. And I believe, and we're going to give some scriptures in just a moment, we're going to see this throughout the Old and New Testament, we should eat together more. I can't mandate it. I'm not trying to mandate it. Um, I'm not trying to make us. But I think that we need to learn how to fellowship with mother, mother on a deeper level at times. I'm not trying to put more on our plate. That's not what I'm trying to do. But, but if we are going to mature, if we are going to understand covenant, we need to learn how to, as we have a deeper relationship with Christ, how to have a deeper relationship with one another. I'm not saying we're going to have a deeper relationship with everybody, but there's a circle of influence that God is going to put in our circle where we would just learn to grow with one another. That makes sense? Okay. Um, why? Because we really care about one another. Okay? Um, see, a covenant, let me just deal with covenant for a moment. We dealt with mail for a little bit. But covenant. See, a covenant is, a un a, is an unbreakable agreement. A covenant is an unending loyalty and faithfulness to one another. See, when you have a covenant with one another, you share all assets, you share all liabilities. And all responsibilities are held mutual. And what says the two become one in a sacred oath. Now, just in fact, I'm talking in a direction that we understand that as far as marriage is concerned. And we understand that as far as our relationship with God is concerned. And even, in, even in a, maybe in a business where you have a partnership with somebody, we can understand where they would share assets and liabilities and responsibilities. But we see this in the early church, and we see this throughout even the New Testament scriptures as we understand the apostles' teaching, where we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we bear with one another's burdens. We, the early church had all things in common. And I'm not saying we're just going to be a doormat to people and we're different things. But we're also not an island to ourselves. Because we have a covenant relationship with God, we learn, and by God's grace and through as He leads us by His Spirit, as He leads us through the Apostles' doctrine, we will learn to have how to have a relationship and even a mini covenant with one another. Okay, um, we're making sense with that. God relates to us on the basis of covenant. God doesn't relate to us on the basis of emotion. He relates to us on the basis of covenant. 
through His Son, Jesus Christ. And because God relates to us on the basis of covenant, if we understand that, as we get grounded in that, our response can be that we're going to relate to one another. Not out of emotion, but on the basis of covenant. Not by feelings, not by circumstances. See, God has bound himself to us by covenant in Jesus through the shedding of blood. Actually, if you study covenant, I didn't go here, but all covenants are not just agreement, but all covenants also, uh, there's a shedding of blood. It's sacred and intimate. Even marriage, I'm not going to, be prudent, and I, I don't know who's all listening, but even marriage, a marriage bed, uh, uh, when someone who's a virgin, when I, there's bloodshed in that, in that whole, that whole ordeal. I'm not going to go into the details of that, obviously. But every covenant, there's a shedding of blood. And God has a covenant with us because of the shedding of blood through Jesus Christ. Okay. But because of what Christ did, we are the body of Christ uh, here on this earth. And He, God, Jesus, has united His Spirit with our Spirit because of what Jesus did through His covenant with us. And we are one Spirit by, by covenant with God, with Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.30, we are bone of his bone, and we are flesh of his flesh because of what Jesus did. Okay? And we, so we are in a covenant relationship with God. God initiated it. God actually, if we're studying this covenant, when we have with God, God made a covenant with himself. God made a covenant with Jesus. We are the beneficiaries of that covenant. But God has a covenant with man. God has made a covenant with us based in, in our relationship. It's not based on emotion. But our, our covenant with God is based on agape love. And agape is a noun. The other forms of love are a verb. But agape is a noun. God chooses to love us based on covenant. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, even when we were still sinners, even when we were alienated from God, even when we were enemies of God, God still loved us. He offered His covenant to us. And when we receive His covenant, we receive all the benefits of that covenant. See, a covenant, you can't get out of a covenant relationship easily. You can't get... I mean, our culture doesn't understand that through divorce. But the way God has ordained marriage to be, it's not, and especially in the Hebrew culture, it's not easy to get out of a, 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 out of a marriage covenant relationship. And we've lost that in our culture today. And the church is struggling because the church doesn't understand covenant. The church at times is struggling with their covenant relationship with God. And they're struggling with their covenant relationship with one another. They haven't been taught it. They're not establishing that and whatnot. But let me say this. When our faith is understood on the basis of uh, a 
of covenant with God. Sorry, I'm trying to read my notes. I want, so I'll say this again. When our faith is understood on the basis of covenant with God, maturity will be the byproduct. So I'm going to say that again, okay? When our faith in God is understood on the basis of covenant, maturity will be the byproduct. I want to say it one more time because I think I chopped it up. When our faith in God is understood on the basis of our covenant with God, maturity will be the ground. See, when we are trying to earn a relationship with God based on performance to religion, we don't grow. But when we understand that God God's, our relationship with God, our righteousness, our salvation is based <coughs> is based on our covenant relationship with God. We will grow. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Faith comes from, and the word of God teaches us the, his covenant relationship with us. And when we, our faith is on, our faith with God is understood on the basis of a covenant, not our performance, not our circumstances, not what we've done right and not what we've done wrong, but it's on the basis of covenant we will grow, we will mature. And we need to be taught the apostles' teaching. We need to continue steadfastly the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. That's why we have what we call communion. The body that was broken for us and the blood of his covenant to be reminded perpetually of his covenant relationship with us. That he is taking our sins as far as the east is from the west. He <coughs> We've been crucified with Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. That's all based on covenant. All of those verses, everything I've taught in this church about righteousness and our relationship with God is all based on the Word of God, and it's all based on covenant. And my relationship with God is not based on what I've done right or what I do. My relationship is based on what He did. And when I understand it's based on covenant, I can grow. I can be mature. And when I understand this covenant relationship, I will begin to understand how to have a covenant relationship with one another, with my wife, with those of us that have kids. When I understand this relationship, I can understand how to have a relationship with other people. Okay? In other words, I promise you, we will not grow and mature in Jesus until we understand the basis of covenant. Uh, we cannot and we will not ever, uh, let me just say, God cannot, and we're going to get into this We'll, we'll soon too. Hopefully we'll get it today. But God cannot and he will not break his covenant with us. We might, in a sense, break our co covenant. But see, God made a covenant with himself. He didn't, make the, he didn't break the covenant with us. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus did. And God will not break his covenant. And so our relationship with God is based on covenant. All we have to do is receive what our provision, what Jesus has done for us, and 
reap the benefits of that relationship, reap the benefits of what he's done for us. Okay? Um, now there's some other things, I want to talk more about covenant, but I want to, I want to go off, like I said, in, uh, for a few moments, and look at some verses about a meal together. And I'm probably going to have to finish next week on some other thoughts about, more about the covenant relationship, because of where we are in time. Okay, so, hopefully I'm not confusing you. Let's go, let's look at some scriptures now. Let's go to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. And go read verse 1. Now, I could, I could start in Exodus chapter 12. That's where the first Passover is, but I'm not going there right now. Where I'm going to is Mount Sinai. Where, and Mount Sinai is where the law is given, the Ten Commandments. Okay? Now, I want to just look at two verses here, and I want to read the whole context. But, uh, so Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. And now he, God, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So God's, in a sense, Mount Sinai, he's on this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's telling Moses to come up with Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, who are Aaron's sons, and the 70 elders of Israel. So these leaders are coming up to him on the mountain, right? Scroll down with me verse 11. Don't get dizzy as I scroll. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he, God, and, uh, excuse me. Okay, yeah, sorry. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, all the 70 elders, and Aaron, of native of Micah, and Moses, they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. We, I don't know about, I've read this many times through the scripture, not through my years. But in other words, I'm just trying to paint a picture with the scripture that these 70 elders, plus Aaron and his sons and, and uh, Moses, went to the mountain of God, and they had a meal with God. They ate and they drank with God. That's profound. I mean, we, we, sometimes we miss some things when we, we read scripture. But I, uh, I'm not going to go to all these scriptures, but remember when uh, the angels came to, in Genesis chapter 18, when the angels came to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he had a conversation with them about them, and, and, and Abraham is negotiating with God to be 40 righteous, and to be 30 righteous, and to be 20 righteous, whatnot. But right before that whole conversation, when the angels came to him, most, I mean, Abraham had a meal with the angels. He prepared a meal with them. Also, throughout the scripture, we'll see in Genesis chapter 27, for example, and again, we don't have to turn there, but a lot of times when, remember the time where uh, Isaac was ready to bless his son Esau? And we had a whole charade of, of uh, Jacob disguising himself like Esau? And this is just one example, but he's ready to bless his eldest son and give a blessing of his, his inheritance and blessing on him. And the whole thing was about a meal. Yes, it was about the blessing, but the whole, the whole environment was, he told his son, Esau, go, go prepare a meal for me. And so Esau, through his mother encouragement, went to go prepare a meal, just like Esau would prepare. And, uh, and so it's all around a meal. And then we have, in Luke chapter 22, and we see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
we have the Last Supper, which is actually the First Communion. And Jesus is having a very intimate time with his disciples just before he's going to the cross. And, and yes, it's the Passover, but the Passover is a meal. And he's having a very intimate time with his disciples over a meal. Okay? And then we, so I'm going through this a little fast, but I'm, I'm just trying, trying to play a picture, and there's other scriptures I can go to, but having a meal together was very common throughout Scripture and very pivotal or uh, important moments. Remember in John 21. In John 21, after the cross, but at the cross and just before the cross, Jesus denied Christ three times. All of them led and fled. But Peter was really broken that he had denied his, his master three times. And, and this is... Now we have the scene in John 21 after the resurrection. But Peter's still broken about what he had done. And they still have not had a full revelation of the, of, of the cross and the resurrection. And so Peter, feeling sorry for himself, and this is just my version of some of this, he goes back to his old fishing hole. And he goes fishing. And, and the same way that he met Jesus the first time, he caught nothing. I mean, every time we meet Peter fishing, he just doesn't catch anything. You know, he doesn't have a good... I mean, he, he, that, that's his business. His livelihood. But every time Jesus comes on the scene, it seems like he never caught anything. But Peter also has the best fish story of all. The first time, back in Luke chapter 5. But here in chapter 21, Jesus... They don't know it's Jesus at the time. He yells from the shore, have you caught anything yet? Anytime Jesus asked Peter, have you caught anything yet? Peter always is saying no. I'm being a little facetious and just trying to throw some humor into the story. But and Jesus told him to cast the net on the other side. I'm like, how come the fish are over there? Why are they all around the boat? But we know the story. He cast the net on the other side, and they catch some the big fish. And just that, 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 the, the repetitiveness of that, that situation, even though it was a little different, but it was very similar. Jesus knew it was Jesus. Peter knew it was Jesus. And he gets out of the boat. And he swims back to the shore. And he meets with Jesus. And if you see, if you read the story in John 21, Jesus tells him to sit down and have breakfast. And has a meal with them. And then we see the beautiful story of, of Jesus and Peter reconciling. And Peter, uh, Jesus really ministering to Peter. There was some, there was some Reproof there too, and some, some correction at times. But it all started around a meal. And, okay. And then we have another situation where in Luke chapter 24, still after the resurrection, we have two disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And in the moment, they, they don't even realize it's Jesus, but they're walking this, this road to Emmaus, it's a long walk. It's not, you know, it's not just like us going down to Walmart. It's like us going to L.A. <laughs> or, or somewhere, maybe even a little closer, but still, well, it's, it's a good day's walk. But they're walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus is beginning to expound on all of the scriptures concerning himself. They don't realize it's Jesus talking with them, ministering to them. And their hearts begin to burn within them, remember, as he's sharing the word of God. And then they get to the place where they're going to Emmaus, and Jesus begins to break bread with them and has a meal with them. And as he does that, their eyes are opened and they realize it's Jesus. 
and they talk about how his the, the, heart, the hearts burned within them, and God showed the word. But it was at the point where they had the meal when they began to relate to him. You know, I mean, they just had a good relationship with him on the road, Demaeus. I mean, that's one message I would love to get on DVD or, or live stream, or I'll just take even an MP3, you know, an audio version of that. But I would like to hear that message that Jesus shared with them on the road. But there was something very transforming, revolutionary, when Jesus began to eat with them and have the meal. And it's not so much about the meal. It's about what the meal, the environment that the meal creates. Uh, and what the meal, in a sense, even symbolizes. I talked about Jesus standing at the door of his church in his worst condition, saying, if you will open the door, I will come and sup with you and you with me. Go with me real quick to Psalm 23. I'm going to just read this psalm. It's one of my favorites growing up. But psalm 23, most of you probably even know it just by me reading it. <coughs> the Lord is my shepherd and shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5. You prepare what? A table before me. In the absence of a man, Oh, in the presence of my enemies. Yet yeah, right my head with oil, my cup over runs, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But I really just want to highlight this because in the context we're talking about, he prepares a table, a meal for us in the presence of our enemies. We fast forward to Revelation chapter 19, when we go, when Jesus comes again and we go with him. We are going to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a lot of more scriptures I can bring out about meal. But meal was a very significant thing. You know, I, I don't believe scripture has any unuseful information in there. God doesn't go into detail and talk about different things just to fill in the holes and, and to paint the story. But every part about scripture has a purpose and a message in it that we can get from but God wants to have a meal with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to take this relationship, he wants it to be relational and intimate. And, and, and some of these stories that we talk about, uh, sometimes they were a time where they were, weren't doing well. I mean, I even have another one for you. Luke 15, we have the prodigal son. He comes home. And besides putting the robe of righteousness on his, on his shoulders, the, the ring, the family ring of authority on his finger. The sons of the, son, the sandals of sonship, because the, the servants didn't wear sandals, the sons did. But then he says, Kill a fatted calf. And let's be merry, because my son, who was dead, is now alive. And just like the religious leaders, the older brother refused to have a meal and to sup with his brother. And with the Father. And that's kind of where I'm going with this. That when we know our covenant relationship with God, not only will we have a meal together with Him, 
and sup with him and fellowship with him. But we also won't be fused our brother and our sister and fellowshipping with them on this level. Is that making sense? Hopefully I'm making sense with some of this. That was you will not grow and mature until you understand the basis of covenant. We don't start at the level of having a relationship and a covenant with one another. But we start with this. And when we understand this covenant relationship, that's what we're talking about. That's what this meal, this table, and the presence of our enemies is talking about. That's what the Lord's communion is. That's what the Passover lamb's about. That's what a lot of these meals will have to do with God's table that he prepares for us. But because God has been merciful to us, because God has had a covenant with us, we in sense can have a mini covenant with one another. This is the main covenant. And marriage is on a different level of covenant than I would have with anyone else. This is a covenant. But I'm going to just have a mini covenant with one another based on this relationship with God. But until we understand this, we're not going to mature. And we're not going to mature in our, in, our, in our other relationships. Okay? How would you over time? Got a few more minutes. Go with me to Psalm 89. I'm going switch gears. Start switching gears here. I'll go back here. Psalm 89. This whole psalm is pretty good, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 34. Okay, switching gears, I've been talking a lot about the meal, but now I'm going to really get into talking about covenants. Okay, that's really what the meal represents. Okay, the meal is the meal is just the the, the, the tool to the, the, the foreshadow, the, the metaphor. Okay. But we're really talking about covenant. We're not talking about so much eating. We're talking about covenant. Okay. My covenant, verse 34, I will not break nor alter the word I have gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie. He says to David. But even though this is true of this song, God not break his covenant. When God makes a covenant, he will not break it. In other words, also, when God says something, it's a covenant. Anything God says, his word is a covenant. And God will not break his covenant. He will not break his word. Whatever he has sworn to us by covenant, by his holiness, God won't lie. God can't lie. He won't lie to us. When God says by covenant, by my stripes you are healed, God will not break his covenant. God will not break his word. When God says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, God has kept his covenant. He will not break his word. Let me piggyback on this. Go with me to Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 2. It says, I will worship you, I will worship towards your holy temple, and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. This last phrase is what I'm trying to get to. For you have magnified your word above all your name. God has magnified, God has exalted his word 
above his name. God, in other words, I'm trying to paint a picture. God is very serious about his word. His word to us is a covenant. There's a lot of other scriptures I can bring out, but God's word is a covenant. And God will not break his word. His word is a covenant. And we enter into a deeper relationship with God and others when we realize that when God speaks, it is a covenant. I, I want to deal with the others, but I want, to, I want to make sure that you understand more primarily our relationship with God is based on covenant. We can't even deal with our covenant with other people if we don't understand this. But our covenant with other people will be our byproduct, will be the fruit if we have this, or if we understand this relationship. God not only has a covenant with us, but God will never break that covenant. He has magnified his word above his name. He won't alter his covenant. And, when, see, God has made a covenant with us. And everything we're talking about right now, we'll go into our, even our next teaching about prayers. When we mix our faith with the word of Knowing he will not break his word, he will keep his covenant, he has honored his word above his name. When we put our faith in a covenant relationship with God, his promises, we can rest assured that whatever he's promised, he will perform. And not only when we mix faith, when we trust, when we truly believe in God's word, his, his word is a covenant, and God will not alter his word, and we mix faith with that, we can rest assured that whatever God has promised, he will perform. Okay? God will keep his word. When God says it, he binds himself to it. That, that's huge. That is very profound. When God says something, he will do it. That's why I can lay hands on the sick and know they will recover because God has made a covenant that he has healed the sick through the cross. I know that God has forgiven me. I know that God loves me. I know that healing is mine. I know that provision is mine. I know that God has made a covenant with me by his word. He won't stray away. And when I mix faith with that, when I trust that, when I when I, I can... I can think on that. I can be like in the sense of the poker game. I'm all in. Because I know I won't lose. I know healing is mine. I know salvation is mine. I know I have the thing I asked for. When I ask, because God will keep his word. It's bound. He's bound to his word by covenant. And he cannot, not only will he, not only will he not, not only will God not break his word, God can't break his word. It's impossible for God to break His word. God cannot lie. Okay? God can't break His word. Dwayne Sheriff, again, and this is where I got a lot of these notes from for the series. When he was just starting out in ministry, and young in his ministry, he was pastoring at a Methodist church. And one Sunday morning, he made a statement along the fact that I don't care what you've been taught. I don't care what you believe. There's some things that God cannot do. And it didn't cause any small stir. He actually, he said, 
there was probably one of one churches where the, the whole church was unified at the same time. And that was that they were unified about being in disagreement with what he just said. And after after the service, everyone everyone in the church was trying to, to teach him in the most excellent way that God can do anything. And God can do everything. God's sovereign and he can do everything. And because of the story, you know, he uh, he, he rephrased it. He said, uh, he apologized, he rephrased it. Well, the, uh, and to, to the degree he said, um, I forget that. There's something that, I think he said it this way, there's some things that God won't do. And they were able to understand that or, or receive that a little better. Like there's some things that God won't do versus some things that God can't do. So he went back and apologized, saying that, that, and but then after he had said that, made that revision and apology, God came to him and said, no, there's some things I cannot do. And so, Dwayne Sheriff repented for repenting. And uh, he went back to his congregation and repented for repenting. And he, he got up again and even more adamant and said, there's some things that God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. God cannot... Um, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God cannot change. Uh, you know, it even says, God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. There's something that God cannot do. And one of the things that God cannot do, God cannot break his covenant. Not only will he not, he can't break his covenant. He can't lie. He can't break his covenant. And once we understand that, and that's why we need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. We need to be reminded of this, this covenant relationship with God, that God cannot break his covenant to his word. Not only his covenant with us, but anything that God has spoken in all the promises of God are yes and amen through us. God cannot break his covenant. He cannot break his word in any way, shape, or form. God can't do that, do that. And see, once we understand that God is sovereign, yes. But this sovereign God, who is ultimately over everything, he has, by his word, delegated some things to us. He's sovereign, but in his sovereignty, God has delegated some things to us by his word. So when God says, this is what you're supposed to do. He binds himself by covenant to his word. When God says you do, you, when God tells us to do it, God won't do it. Because he told us to do it. He told us to go lay hands on the sick and to recover. He's told us to go do some things. In other words, you can't do what God can do. And God won't, and he can't do what he's told you to do. If you think about that, in his sovereignty, God binds himself to his word, and he cannot break his word. See, in John chapter 1, I'm not going to go through all that context, but we know that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, that God created everything by his word. Go with me real quick to Hebrews chapter 11. I know Hebrews chapter 1.
who at the various times, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, sorry. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to his to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, to whom he made all the world. I wish I had time to expound on that, but I want to get to verse 3. Who, being in the brightness of his glory, and express image of his person, and according all things by <coughs> the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. I really wanted to get to that middle phrase there. Actually, I have a highlight in orange. Not for this message, but for another message. But God is upholding all things by the word of his power. Not only did God create, create everything by his word, God is upholding everything that he created by his word. The universe, the planets, the stars, the atmosphere. Every atom that he's created, everything we have came from something that God created, even though it's been manufactured by man and different things. Everything is, is put together by an atom. If God does not keep his word, the whole cosmos will fall apart. Even our bodies, our, every cell in our body, all the atoms, everything will fall apart if God does not keep His word. That's that, that, when we understand that our relationship with God is based on covenant, and we have a whole Bible full of promises. Forget not His. Bless the Lord on my soul. Forget not all of His benefits. God <coughs> cannot break. His word. God cannot break His covenant. It's not that He won't. He can't. If He does, everything He's created will fall apart. It's so powerful. And when we mix faith with that, <coughs> see, continually steadfastly in apostles' doctrine <coughs> and to fellowship and the breaking of bread is all about covenant. And we need to continue steadfastly, not just in a wafer and a cup and some ordinance. But what the ordinance represents is a reminder that we are in a covenant relationship with God. We get so caught up in this world, life just happens. And our world does not operate on the basis of covenant. It doesn't operate that way in any way, shape, or form. But we do. We are the children of God. We are born of God. God operates with us on the basis of covenant, and we can operate towards one another on the basis of covenant. But before we even get there, we need to be establishing ourselves that we are in a covenant relationship with God. And when we mix faith with that, and when we get to the talking about prayers, everything I'm talking about here goes with the prayers. Because our prayers will be powerful, and they will be effective when we know that God does not alter from his covenant. It, it, everything we're trying to teach in a better way to pray on Sunday nights is based on covenant. You can't, under, you can't pray a better way if you don't understand covenant. The apostles' teaching. Am, am I making sense? For example, and this, I don't, uh, we hear a lot these days about global warming, which I think is a big uh, hoax. In many ways. But we have to remember, God, we didn't create the earth. We didn't create the atmosphere. We didn't create the sun. 
we are not the ones upholding it. And it won't be destroyed until Jesus comes again. God created this planet. He created the sun. He created the climate. And we, mankind, are so arrogant because they don't know God. And they don't know His Word. And the covenant is Word. When we understand God's Word, being disciples in God's Word, when things like that come around, we just know, no, that's not going to happen. Because we're not after something. And actually, scientifically, they've already proven that that is not true. But I'm just using that as an example. That God is the whole, the whole reason why the climate is staying together. Because God is upholding it by his word. And he cannot and will not break that. But this God, who upholds everything by his word, wants to break bread with you and me. He wants to supper. He wants to have a meal with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And my relationship with God is based on covenant. The same God who has made a covenant with this planet. The same God who has created everything by his word. He has upheld everything by his word. That God wants to have that kind of a relationship with me. Not based on my conduct. Not based on emotions. Not based on circumstance, but based on his word. Based on his covenant. God has made a covenant with me. That's why we come to his table. That's why we come and partake the, the cup of his new covenant. In my blood is the blood of my covenant. God has made a covenant with me. He shed his blood. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he can not break that. I'm going to pick up with this next week. Well, I, just, I almost got to the finish line, but there's one big major piece I want to still add to this, and I don't want to rush it. I want to be able to give time to this. I'll probably repeat a few things just to set the, the stage for this, but I want to finish this, and then we'll probably see me tap into prayer next week, too. Start to start with that because that one I have a lot of stuff that will probably take me at least two weeks just to cover uh, the prayers, uh, not more. So um, I don't want to rush it, but uh, I didn't think I'd get as far as I got today, but I did get that far. I know I'm saying a lot of different things. It's not about the meal, but the meal is very powerful. The meal and, and breaking bread, and we're going I get I get there's some other things I'm gonna teach about covenant with this relationship that really, when we understand this, it spills over to our relationship with others and how we forgive one another and how we show mercy to one another because God has shown mercy towards us. Does that make sense? When we understand this covenant, we can understand how we, by God's grace, can have a covenant relationship with others. That's not based on emotion or not. But we can't do that in the flesh. The world doesn't do that. But we can't do that in the flesh. We can only do that by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, by the nature of God. And all I ever talk about is having a well-balanced. I'm not teaching that we need to have a meal every day with other people. We need to have, you know, uh, we need to have time for ourselves. We need to have a time for along with God. We need to have time for our families. But everything in balance and everything in proper perspective. But we also need to have a relationship with one another in the body of Christ. And in a sense, 
like Jesus, we, we need to have times where we have a relationship with the world. Not that we're associating with them to become like them, but like Jesus, he hung out with the publicans and sinners. In its right context, in its right level. Um, a new believer who's not grounded, that might be dangerous. But as we have grown and we and, and different things, we may have time where we, in a sense, have a connection with the world. Because uh, to us, praise God, we have been transformed by the power of His Word, but they have not. And we need not to be so selfish about what we're doing and who we are. We need to also be mindful of being relational with other people. But it starts with this kind of relationship. And we're, I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to talk about if God doesn't relate to us based on what we've done, in a sense, we don't relate to one another based on what they've done. I'm not saying we're going to be buddy-buddy and best friends and, and uh, with every single person. There's some people, I, I like them, I love them, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to share my back on them, but I'm also not going to just share, I'm not going to throw my pearls before swine, so to speak. And I'm going to be careful, and I'm going to be cautious around some people. I'm sure Jesus, when he was relating with the public and the sinners, it was on a different level than when he related to the disciples. I'm pretty sure they had different conversations at a certain level. But even his disciples, they had him and he had a, he had a tax collector. He had a thief. Peter had a bad mouth. Uh, he, he didn't have, the, he didn't have the, uh, all the sharpest knives in the drawer. But uh, Jesus... When we have a relationship, a covenant relationship with Jesus, He will transform our lives. Lord, I, I, Lord, I know I just said a lot of different things this morning. But I know I'm still in the learning this breaking of bread and this covenant. <clears throat> but I know there's some things in this whole series that, Lord, you've been teaching me. And I'm trying to instill that to others. I'm trying to give that to others. Help us as individually, and help us collectively to understand what you have ordained by your word in having a covenant relationship with you and we're going to take our relationship with you to another level. Take our faith in your covenant to a new level that we haven't even tapped into yet. Take our relationship with one another on various levels and various tiles of relationships to a new level because of our relationship with you. Help us to grow. Help us to mature in Christ because of our relationship with you. Thank you for this time. Bless us as we go. And we just bless this week in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen. Amen.